0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven
1: books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University.
0: Why as human beings do we reject that information out of hand? I mean, if I think of some of the conspiracy theories yeah, you know, did man land on the moon? You know all those types of things. You just sometimes you, you listen to these and you think it's just so ridiculous what you're saying here.
1: In terms of why people believe things against the evidence, um, there's there's something known as a fluency effect. And the idea there is that sometimes when things are easier to explain and easier to understand, they seem more true. So you see this a lot with a lot of conspiracy theories, where the explanation is pretty simple, it's straightforward, right? There's this evil cabal, and they're making everything happen. That's super easy to understand, as opposed to like really complex explanations about what's going on in the economy.
0: Ryan. Have you heard of a car brand called Skoda? Uh, I have actually used one of
1: their ads in my class, but it's a relatively recent right. ad that I use. I understand they have a longer history in Europe that I'm not as familiar with.
0: Yeah, so so back in the day, and I'm now talking I don't know, maybe 30 years ago, Skoda in the in the, the UK and I, and I think the sort of the equivalent brand in the US would be Yugo, isn't it? Something uh, yeah, like that. Yeah, so kind of a, a like a prototypically crappy car like something that's yeah. always breaking
1: down all the time yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah, and know, import. A, yep. yeah absolutely yeah and, and in fact in england they had these jokes going around at the time which is so let me let me give you a couple so how do you double the price of a skoda um fill up the gas tank correct <laughs>
1: So I know that was a joke and it was a joke, but I've made the same joke because I owned a used Hyundai for a long time. And I looked up the blue book value on it. And this was in the, like the early 2000s when gas was expensive the, the previous time. Yeah. And it like, I changed the price of that Hyundai by about 11% when, when the gas tank was full. <laughs> so that may be a joke to you, Colin. That was my life. <laughs>
0: I just got to sit the other one i really like was uh, why do skodas have heated rear windows why do they have heated rear w- that one i don't know yeah and the answer is to keep your hands warm while you're pushing it <laughs> <laughs> okay that one's really good. That one's good and what's the similarity between a skoda and a baby it's i'm a little nervous about where this one's going what what is that neither of them go anywhere without a rattle
1: <laughs> but That's very it's, clever.
0: It is, isn't it? So all of these jokes were going around. And now, why do I why do I say this? What's this got to do with customer experience and what we're going to talk about today? It was funny because my my son uh, said to me the other day. He said, "I'm buying a new car down." I know. Oh, okay. Right. Well, what, what again. I'm getting a Skoda. What you're getting a what? <laughs> and he said, "Oh, they're really good." And and the reality is that skoda as a car brand now is a good brand okay but my recollection of it it still makes me go nah i shouldn't buy skoda yeah yeah because sort of deep in my memory is all of these jokes and just the the embarrassment and of having one but clearly my son doesn't know all those things until i started telling him the jokes (laughs) Which didn't alter his opinion. Um, and, no, now and, they know, just don't make sense. No. Yeah, no. That made me think, yeah, so they've moved on. and um, But it made me made me think about we have beliefs, don't we, that we really hold on to. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and one of the things recently that's made me think about things is just the whole war in Ukraine. Yeah. And how... We in the West are are getting one story, and in Russia, they're getting a different story. Now, let me be very clear. I know which side I sit on, which is the Ukrainian side. Yeah, and I'm sure you do as well. You can't ignore the fact that Russians are being fed disinformation and therefore have this belief. So you can't really, I guess, blame them, if you like. Yeah. And it does. I mean, it does muddy the water for sure. Like, if obviously
1: we're victims of whatever types of information we're getting. What's interesting, though, and I think closer to the point that you were raising earlier about your your image of Skoda, there's also though a lot of kind of motivated cognition around this. There's there's a lot of instances where people who have beliefs strongly on one side or the other, and in this case, you know, particularly the promotion side, are are kind of deliberately choosing not to believe information to the contrary or, or not to update their previous beliefs about it in this case, as new information comes in. And that's unfortunately kind of a general human phenomenon.
0: Yeah, so that's what I wanted to kick around. I don't, wanna, I don't want this to get political or anything like that, but it just made me started to go, you know, if I, if I then sort of took that theory and went into customer experience, I don't know if you know this, mate, but I, I like Apple as a brand. Have, I've have I ever heard. told you that? I've, I've heard, <laughs> yes. And I've found myself defending them. Yeah. I've found myself when there are debates about uh, big tech companies going, yeah, but that doesn't apply to Apple because Apple are good. Yeah. And then I've been thinking, yeah, but, Colin, you know, you're, you're sort of showing a bias here, basically. If I think back and draw that same analogy with Skoda. Back in the day, I used to love Sony. Sony were like the, mm-hmm. the big brand, and I used to buy everything Sony. I wouldn't buy anything Sony now. Yeah. It changes, Yeah, But I guess the bit that we're going to focus on today is this bit about why do people have beliefs? And why is it that no matter what data you give to them, it doesn't alter their beliefs? Yeah. Yeah? Uh, and what's happening from that? human side
1: yeah it's another one of these examples where if we have kind of a rational model of human behavior then any new information that we get we should just incorporate that and so we should update our beliefs and then our beliefs will always be kind of up to date with whatever information we have but that's not the case like a lot of times we'll get new information up and we just won't update or it'll take like overwhelming amounts of information for us to to choose to update where it should we should be more responsive to it so yeah, let's, let's dig into that. Like, why, why are we not responsive to data in the way that we should be? I've got a,
0: a bunch of theories that we can dig into. Should we start with that? Far away. And you know me, mate. Within 30 seconds, I'll interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, I, I do know you. Yeah. In fact, oh. it's not even going to be 30 seconds this no, time. it's not. It's not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Colin, when you defend Apple back in the day when you defended Sony, I would suggest that that is at least in part a a minor version of this, right? Where we define ourselves in part through the brands we associate with. And if a certain brand is important to you, you may have pulled it into your identity. It's usually not to the same extent you've pulled in like your family as part of your identity or your nationality, but it is there. And so if Apple is important to you and you hear negative information about Apple, it's natural for us to have that bias and to kind of push that information away
0: and not want to update based on that why as human beings do we reject that information out of hand i mean if i think of some of the conspiracy theories yeah you know did man land on the moon you know all those types of things you just sometimes you you listen to these and you think it's just so ridiculous what you're saying here it's obvious that that's And by not- ridiculous, I assume you mean
1: ridiculous to claim that people did, in fact, land on the moon? Because, come on. <laughs> yeah. I, mean.
0: I saw it on telly. Yeah. <laughs> it must be true. And, in fact, there's an interesting fact. Only the other day I heard on the radio that one in 20 people in the UK believe everything they read on social media. Yeah, I digress. Why is it then that despite overwhelming data, do people still go, nah, that's all wrong. I'm rejecting that. I would rather go with this circumstantial evidence that I've got. Good question. So so one of the
1: potential answers is this identity story, but it's not the only one. And I don't think right. it applies well to everything. A couple more that that might kind of help explain some of this. Sometimes when you embrace a non-mainstream theory or understanding, it can make you feel important or special or right. smart. So there's this kind of forbidden knowledge aspects to it. Like, like right. most people are not smart enough to have dug this up, but I did, right? A lot right. of times you will hear people who embrace non-mainstream theories or understanding say things like I've done my research indicating that like they've earned their knowledge as opposed to yeah just accepting and and there's like there's an ego benefit to that there's there's self-esteem self associated with that so yeah sometimes we we can like generate some positive affect that way like where we we just feel special about ourselves by by embracing these things
0: and and again if we pull this back to sort of the customer experience environment or to to a business environment there were clearly people buying skodas yeah Back in the day when jokes were going around, and I guess they could have felt that they were part of a tribe or a, a yeah. or a group of people. It could be that they're even thinking that they're smarter than the average bear because they weren't expensive. So when I was
1: driving that used Hyundai that I referenced earlier, it this was after so that was a, the car I bought before I went to grad school when I you know I didn't have any money and and but I kept that car for a long time, and like I, I have a picture of. The car in the faculty parking lot, the business school that I work at, parked between a new Lexus and a Maserati.
0: I mean, let's be clear, mate. Though it does go with the image of being a professor, doesn't it? Well, but a professor to business school is my point. Like the Maserati, oh, was,
1: the Maserati <laughs> was owned by a, a finance professor, and the the Lexus was owned by another business right. professor. But to your point, like I felt like. I was kind of smugly superior in some way because I was not caught up in that, right? Like I have other priorities and that makes me feel, right? It's, you get people who run kind of counter to the grain where like, you know, if this is your status symbol, then I'm going to reject that and have my sure. own status. So sure. I do think that there were probably people who bought Skodas or Yugos who were very much aware that like, yeah, there's a social stigma with that. This is me boldly signaling that I don't care about your social stigma. This is
0: a cheap car. Did you have a sticker on the back of the car that says, I didn't sell out to the man? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: And I, I would stand there behind my car, hacky-sacking with
0: my friends. And did that sticker double the value of the car? <laughs> You paid more for the sticker than you it did for the car. It was actually a
1: structural <laughs> sticker.
0: If you took it off,
1: then the car would fall apart. So it needed to be there. I agree with, with what you're saying. I think that even sometimes some, some counterintuitive brands that we, we associate with might provide some sense of kind of identity or superiority if, if we frame it in that way.
0: The other interesting bit I was I was reading the other day I was reading a report from uh, a test about sustainability. Yeah. And there was a few interesting stats that that came out of that about climate change, mm-hmm. because climate change has been one of those areas, hasn't there, that's has been yes hotly contested. Let me let me say over the last few years. I see, I see what you did there with climate change. Yeah, and hot a, a and, nice yeah. little play on that, don't you think? No, it was yeah. great. It was great. <laughs> a couple of interesting stats that came from that report, which was the vast majority of Americans, 94%, believe that climate change is happening now, with 6% feeling it's, it's not occurring. Okay, I was actually quite surprised it was a yes. 94%. Pleasantly um, surprised, because if, if you go yeah. back in time, that number Correct. has changed a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Which is where, which is, where, after I read these stats, it, it made me start to question all these things. I, and I love it when you get stats that make you think, yeah. basically. Another stat they had was 52% say their view on climate change has uh, altered in the last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 38% think that climate change will directly affect them in their lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess the whole area of climate change, and if I think about smoking, I remember there the was debate of is smoking does smoking cause any health damage and stuff like that. Is there anything about from that sort of human behavioural aspect? I guess what I'm trying to come at this from is is it over a period of time. So if I think about climate change, just as this example, we've been talking about. Well, maybe they maybe they used the wrong word, didn't they? Because they called they, the, it was called global warming, yeah. And then everyone went, yeah, but it's bloody cold. So how can that be happening? And rightly so, they reframed it, which was another part of behavioral science, wasn't that? To climate change, they're now moving in the direction of uh, climate
1: catastrophe or climate disaster. I can't remember right. what the new phrase yeah. is, but again, t- to uh, further for this kind of behavioral change to get people to think about it differently.
0: The point I'm trying to get to is the change has happened over a period of time. You clearly got people that turned around and went, yeah, I believe in global warming, climate change, we'll call it what you want, and I've always believed in it. 15 years ago when it was being talked about, I believed in it, and I obviously believe in it now. You gradually, now 94% of Americans believe that, that it's happening now. I guess you get into some nuances on that stack, just thinking about it, which is Is it caused by fossil fuels and stuff like that, which I think it is, but let's not go there. But my question to you is, is there a sort of set period of time or what needs to happen to change people's opinion? And let me just throw in one one more bit of context and trying to bring this back to business again. So you and I rattle on about how bad cable companies are. You know, if we were in front of the CEO and the CEO said to us, well, I know we got a bad reputation, but here's all the stats that tell us that we're doing quite well, then how long will it be before that actually starts to impact on the customers? Good questions. I think that there, there might be two
1: potential explanations for this. So one would be the difference between data and experience. So for a long time, the case that climate change activists were making, trying to convince people that this was a serious problem, was largely data-driven. So it's like, look. Look at these temperature changes. Look at the ocean acidification rates. Like, Here's all the data. And they had all the data. And they could show it to us in charts and graphs. And for a long time, people were rejecting that in favor of their experience, where they would say, but it's still snowing. Like, You can't tell me that the planet's warming. When we had a cold snap just last week, there there was kind of a cottage industry of meteorologists, uh, people who, who predicted the weather. Who were kind of pushing back against the global warming narrative because they were like look we predict the weather all the time and it hasn't changed that much one of the possible reasons why the the shift has happened recently is because more people have started to actually experience the effects of climate change so we've had these massive heat waves that come through we've had storms that are much larger and more expensive and in some cases more frequent um we've had like forest fires all over the world at a rate that's not previously happened and so in the face of those more experiential pieces of evidence, I think that people are more persuaded by that. And so that might be one of the causes. And it speaks to the importance of experience more generally. Talking to your, your hypothetical cable executive, they could point to the fact that they've improved their response times by 8% and they've reduced such and such by 14%. And, but if you're a customer and your experience is you're still having to wait Four hours for the repair man to come, and you are still having to wait on the line, and these things still go poorly. Then, even if those things are improving on the margins, your experience is still negative, and that will overwhelmingly drive your overall evaluation.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and how I would answer my own question is that it also depends upon the frequency of the interaction. So I think I've given you this example before, but yeah. We were working with a water company, and the meantime between somebody contacting the water company, phoning up the call center, was seven years. Yeah. So typically, people phone up once every seven years, okay? Now, that's clearly a long time. Your perception of them is bad, then you've kept that. They could have done, they could have absolutely solved everything. It could be the best experience ever, but if you're not phoning them for seven years, you're still working on that old perception aren't you? That's right. I think it's a great example. So how often do people have the opportunity to update?
1: Uh, I think another one, and this may apply more to some brands than others, but I think there's a strong social component to this. So in America for a long time, it was uh, Republicans that were skeptical of global warming and Democrats that were in favor of it. Um, and I think this especially came to a head when Al Gore and George W. Bush were, were running because Al Gore was, was very much a yeah. climate change advocate. And so that meant that Republicans were reflexively against it. And it was, it was towards the end of George W. Bush's term when he actually started using the term climate change and started talking about global warming. And in some ways, that kind of gave Republicans permission to not have this be a part of their identity where they could now kind of get on board. And so you do find these, these social effects where a lot of issues will reach a tipping point. In the U.S., opinions about uh, gay marriage, for example were heavily against for a long time. A lot of people were were really opposed to it. And then in a remarkably short period of time, it flipped. And now the vast majority of people are, I don't know about vast, the majority of people, and I think it's a large majority at this point, are in favor of gay marriage. And it's not like a a huge new trove of data came out and people are like, oh, well, now I understand the issue better. Uh, It was largely social. So uh, there was kind of a snowball effect where as more people kind of became comfortable with the idea and started advocating for it, then there was this social pressure to kind of get on board. And so people did. And, and so that changed very quickly too. So it may be that even as your cable company is improving until they reach some kind of social tipping point where most people are on board with them being better, it's not going to change. I think I think part of the SCOTA story might be that where your generation, this was a joke car and was going to always be terrible And for your son's generation, it may be that there was just kind of a larger social group that I think also the updating, you know, if they were actually having more interactions with these cars, then they had the opportunity to change that uh, that opinion. Uh, Maybe something similar there.
0: Yeah. In fact, I think I'm going to write in and complain to Skoda. Because I'm disappointed that I can't use those jokes anymore. That really. is a shame.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you could start a class action lawsuit. Those are those are golden jokes. Those are really good.
0: I mean, how can how can you say those jokes if 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 it's not true? I mean, yeah. it's just it's just not on. But they owe you. <laughs> training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions, beyond philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. Let's do our usual bit. Let's do the
1: so what. I'm gonna stop you. Before so what, I told you I had a list of theories here. Um, oh, okay. So let me run through just one or two more real quickly and then we can do yeah, our so what. Sure. In terms of why people believe things against the evidence, um, there's there's something known as a fluency effect. And the idea there is that sometimes when things are easier to explain and easier to understand, they seem more true. So you see this a lot with a lot of conspiracy theories where the explanation is pretty simple. It's straightforward, right? There's this evil cabal and they're making everything happen. That's super easy to understand as opposed to like really complex explanations about what's going on in the economy. Right. So a lot of times the simple explanation wins, even when the simple explanation is wrong so that's something that we're up against and that's called the fluency effect isn't yeah it? so when things are, are more fluent when they're easier for us to understand and, and kind of process cognitively a lot of
0: times they seem truer i just gotta to talk to the people that invent these names and just go <laughs> for goodness sake you have clearly got a brain the size of a planet but you really just don't know how to communicate these things to people. ironically fluency
1: effect a disfluent label for it yeah <laughs> ironically yeah the last thing is that we can talk about as an explanation here is that there's, there's an expertise effect or an expertise level to a lot of these issues that just gets kind of missed, glossed over. One of the effects of expertise is nuance. So as we, be, we start learning about something, we learn about it at its highest levels, kind of in its most abstract terms. And then as we get deeper and deeper and deeper into it, you start learning all the details and you start learning all the exceptions and all of the, the ways that this is really a more nuanced subject than it seemed at first. And so what that means is that a lot of novices, a lot of people who are not experts in things, tend to prefer simple stories and make broad generalizations. And it gets worse. There's something called the Dunning-Kruger effect, Oh yeah, which was named after the two guys. So it's not their fault that it's a bad name. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's their parents' fault, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> no, Let's, it's, let's it's, be clear about this. If w- their whichever ancestor gave them those last names. <laughs> um, Justin Kruger, I don't know what Dunning's first name is. I don't know. Anyway, the Dunning-Kruger effect is this idea that sometimes the people with just a little bit of knowledge are the most confident in what they say. So they, they have these amazing graphs right. in the paper where... If you have no knowledge about some subject, you're not confident at all. But if you have a little bit of knowledge, your confidence like shoots way up. And right. then as you get more knowledge on the subject, your confidence goes down and down and down. Right. And then when it gets to be really high, it starts to go back up again. Yeah. So basically, sometimes the most confident people are among the least informed.
0: You're making me think of the BBC. Mm. So being a, a true British person, yes. I love the BBC. I love the BBC too. And I go... Because when I was challenging myself about, well, what are Russians hearing? What are, you know, what are we hearing? And I I was then thinking, yeah, but you're only saying that, Colin, because you're listening to the BBC and they're telling you all these things. For all I know, it it could be rubbish. Now, let me be clear. Again, I don't think it is, but it could be, you know, it's not beyond beyond the realms of possibility. Don't you go
1: besmirching the good name of the BBC, Colin, you and (laughs) I have words. Your point is correct. Like, And it's scary. Like, A lot of the, the things that we interact with now in a complex world are beyond our expertise. And so we're having to rely yeah. on experts. And that's, that's an entirely different set of concerns that we could have a separate podcast about how do we evaluate yeah. experts. But it is. It's scary. And so we are often in these situations where we're novices for a lot of the important stuff in our lives. And that means that we tend to prefer simple explanations which are oftentimes not sufficient.
0: But again if you put yourself in the average russian's shoes yeah who are listening to this broadcast that they've listened you know to the to the whatever state media that they've had for the last 50 years whatever 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 and they're saying these things and they've come to trust yeah that media like i trust the bbc then you go well i i now understand why you think that that's the case.
1: No and i think that's an important point like i am more sympathetic i mean to people who get stuff wrong in general like i, I understand these biases are, are very deeply ingrained in all of us and we have to work really hard to overcome them so i'm sympathetic that doesn't though excuse it like sometimes if oh our no conclusions are wrong they're wrong and we need to get around no. it. but i agree with you no. like i i'm very sympathetic to, to people who find themselves in those situations and when i do when i find
0: myself in them For me, what the learning is, is you've got to expose yourself to different sources of information. yeah, And you've got to question things, basically. And I think that all too often, and again, let's take this back to the business context, all too often, people sit there and go, I know what's happening. I've talked to customers, they told me this. I know I'm a customer myself. I know what's happening. I don't need to find this other data you may be providing us calling with some information that you're saying is relevant, but you know what? Well, I'm going to reject it because I'm, I know better than you, you do Yeah. now. Interesting stuff.
1: Yeah. And in terms of like what you can do with it, I, there are two groups of, of advice that I give. One is overcoming the bias yourself, which I think is exactly the stuff you were talking about. So you got multiple sources of information, assume that things are more complex than you think they are because they almost always are. So look for those, sources of nuance, uh, especially if they don't come to you intuitively, (laughs) know that they're out there and you're just not seeing them. So to dig into that, seek out, you know, real experts in things and, you know, you don't need to trust them completely, but hear what they have to say
0: and try to put that in context. So Ryan, just for the record, and I want to be really clear, I absolutely stand with Ukraine. I absolutely think what's happening in Ukraine is awful and Russia is to blame. I also love the BBC. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but all i'm trying to do here is to just point out about you know how information is received and why people have the beliefs that they do and i think it's incumbent upon all of us to challenge our thinking and to not just have one source of data because the danger is if you rely on too many or just one source of data you by definition you're going to be Bias towards that source of data and think that everything that they say is 100% true. And it, it, that can never be the case, of that, I don't think. Absolutely.
1: The last thing, all of that is for how do we de bias ourselves. The last bit of, of advice is just about what you can do managing your customers' experiences around it keep in mind their biases. So simple explanations will tend to get through. Recognize that your customers are going to be less expert than you. And so they're not going to see the nuance. They're going to be looking for things that they can kind of understand and process. And so work with them, like communicate at that level, uh, simplify things to the the maximum extent that you can, because that's what will tend to be compelling. Don't give them data, give them experiences, all those kinds of things.
0: And I think those are good. And I think you've got to recognize that if you are a cable company and or your experience isn't bad, it will take a time yeah. for things to turn around. And it is down to the frequency. But also, I think the other part that we didn't talk about really was the whole area of messaging, because your opinion can start to change if all your friends are suddenly saying, bloody hell, these Scodias are a good cast. And uh, you know, I don't know why they've got all these jokes about them then that can start to influence what you're doing as well. So we hope that's been of use. If I come across any other SCODA jokes that I remember, I will let you know. They were really good jokes. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.